Good morning. That was pretty good for off the cuff, but I bet we could beat that. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you for inspiring me with your enthusiasm this morning. Isn't this a great day? Have you been inspired by the beauty around you? I mean, I was just thinking, Pete and I talked last night as we were just processing the message and the beauty of holiness and how much that inspires us. What was the title of that book, Pete, that you were referencing about uh, changing the world or something through beauty? Am I close? Did I steal it from you? Beauty will change the world, which is a, probably a description of a lot of things in the Bible. Beauty will change the world. And I haven't even read the book, and I'm already inspired by it. And part of that is, Merle, your message last night, calling us to embrace the attractiveness of holiness, the beauty of holiness. I've seen it this morning in the sunrise. I caught just a little peek out the camper door when I saw the that glint of sunrise on the tops of some of those peaks. Did you all see that, some of you? How about the, uh, the fresh mountain air? Is anyone invigorated besides me with fresh mountain air? Oh. And then every time I climb up these steps, uh, I have a new appreciation, Kent, for breathe on me, breath of God. All I ever thought before was who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, but... Uh, that was fantastic last night to add that dimension. I got to practice that already a couple times. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Good questions. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. The psalmist then says, and I'm going to turn it into a question. Is this the generation of them that seek thy face? That seek thy face, O Jacob? I'm going to turn it right around and speak it over you. Yes. This is the generation of them that seek thy face, that seek thy face, O Jacob. So, the next verse says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Hallelujah. Just paving a way, a highway for our God. I have spent an unusually large amount of time in the Song of Solomon in the past several weeks. Unusually large because I've went over and over and over this book because Songs chapter 5 verse 16 was given to me as an inspiration passage for this morning's message. And this is what it says. His mouth is most sweet. Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. 
I'd like to call your attention to the whole chapter of Song of Solomon, chapter 5. I spent some time again this morning looking at both chapters 4 and 5. And in chapter 4, we have the verbiage right after the wedding celebration. It's like the wedding has just wrapped up. The bride and groom have exited. They maybe have even arrived, probably have. I don't suppose they're still in the chariot. I probably didn't go to a chariot back in Solomon's day. But I'm just putting it in our setting. They might still be in the chariot or the horseless carriage. But more than likely, they've arrived at the destination of the first night together as husband and wife. And the man is incredibly wise. Before he does anything, he starts speaking affirmation over his new bride. You could say, hands off. He just starts speaking. And he affirms several things. He affirms what first attracted him, the outward beauty. And then he starts affirming also what further attracted him, the inward beauty. And he makes a safe place for her to welcome him. I think that's pretty neat. At the end of chapter 4, you see in the last verse, verse 16, the man is still speaking, the first part of the verse, and he says, Awake, O north wind, and come, thou south, blow upon my garden. He's taking ownership of her, that the spices thereof may flow out. And now the Shulamite speaks. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. And now the wedding and the marriage is consummated. Between verse 16 of chapter 4 and verse 2 of chapter 5, we have a typical marriage issue. <laughs> but before we get to verse 2, I'd like you to look at verse 1. And it says, I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Just a little, just a little description of the end of chapter 4. Now, who do you think is speaking the next phrase? Eat, O oh friends. Drink. Yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. If you read any commentaries on this, you'll get a lot of answers. But the one I like the best is that this is God himself speaking a huge blessing on marriage and the covenant of marriage and the intimacy of marriage. Eat, O friends, drink. Yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. God puts his stamp of approval on something that he started a long time before this. The first institution of humanity God designed, the man and the woman, a union in marriage together for life. And here again, God smiles on their intimacy. 
verse 2, I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. Little setting. Somewhere uh, the king has been, and it's probably been a long day. Uh, maybe it's been a big work day. Maybe there's been a lot of judging to do that day, and he's, he's coming in at night. It's, it is well after sunset. The door's barred. The lock is on. It's his own house, but he can't get in unless he breaks it down. Somewhere there's been a breakdown in this marriage union, and somewhere there's at least a little bit of resentment that has built up in the heart of the Shulamite. And that's what brings us really here together today, doesn't it? Is the reality that we have tasted awesome things as couples, Christian couples who are experiencing the closest thing that God has intended for all of humanity. It's the Christians who get the closest taste of God's best of any people group on earth in marriage. But we deal with this too. We deal with the seeming cycle of, as one commentator put it, with every high there seems to be a low that accompanies it every time. Can you get two highs before you hit a low? Maybe. <laughs> Sometimes. Maybe as we get more experience, we lengthen out the times where we go into deep places of mourning or lament or loneliness, but it's still a reality in our marriages. And I'm glad that as this book was penned, that that reality was not excluded. So this actually is a dream here in chapter five. The beloved, the Shulamite, has got this dream. She speaks about it right there. I sleep, but my heart waketh. And maybe she's partly asleep, or maybe it's a full dream. But at any rate, you get down through several of the pieces, like the watchman um, kind of working her over. Uh, likely some guilt working through her mind in a, in a dream state. And as she processes through how she has reserved and held off from opening up to her man because of resentment, she starts trying to speak of him and in the search to these daughters of Jerusalem. And they say, what is your beloved more than another that you would look after him so? What is your beloved more than another beloved? And that uncorks the Shulamite. It's almost like chapter 4 flipped around. Now she is speaking about him, recognizing. So she's not speaking to him. She's speaking about him to these daughters of Jerusalem. And so she goes through this long description of her man, her mate. And she ends with this. His mouth is most sweet. Yea, he is altogether lovely. Now, I'd like you to read this next part with me, okay? This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. This 
this one. Among thousands, actually she says, among 10,000, this one is my beloved. This one is my friend. The title of the message this morning is just simply my beloved and my friend. The subtitle, bringing friendship and fun into marriage. So you should have that on your paper there. And I printed this off as a way to chronicle some notes so that you can uh, join me in the progression of looking at the question, what does friendship and fun in marriage really look like? I'm going to give you some of my musings. There is a natural progression of life. It looks like this. The longer you live, the more experience you have. The more experience you have, the more responsibility gets handed to you. With increased responsibility comes increased authority. All these increases come with another increase, greater expectation of your performance. This tends toward consuming your mind's creative energy and adds another dimension. What do you think it is? Stress. And we all speak that language real well in here, don't we? Stress. Stress and responsibility tend to be, I use that word specifically, they tend to be consuming. I want you to note that if you haven't observed that before. Where you once had, it seemed, endless capacity to think of fun things to do with or for your beloved, now it fights for the same space as adult responsibility. So, see if I can do this, Mason. Are we up? Better? All right. We're going to do a little everyone together exercise right now. This is my whiteboard, and you are my captive audience. And... Um, Proverbs chapter 30 says that there are several things that never have enough. Three, yea, four. And I think that we could come up with our own list. I just want us to kind of explore this together a little bit. I'm going to try to keep up with you. Uh, so if you just start saying things like time with my spouse. Okay, let's get that in there. Never enough. What else? Time with uh, God, did someone say? Time with children. Time alone. Time? Never enough time. Sleep? How about uh, never enough Money for the dentist. 
Is there enough money for everything else, or has anyone else got some shortages there? <laughs> Let's see. Uh, how about money for cars? Diapers. I hope that would come out. Energy. Energy for like family worship, right, men? What other kind of energy? Say it again. Yes. For redirection, repurposing. Yes. Okay, looks like I'm on a new screen here. Meditation. Meditation. Never enough. It's never enough time for dates, is there? Never enough, I'm going to call it, I'm going to put it right over here and call it creative energy. That seems to be limited in my case. How about uh, time for fixing projects at the house? Fixing house projects. Serving. Did I go dark? Temporarily. Thank you. Okay. Never enough affirmation. Yes? No. You get the gist, I think. Never enough sense of belonging. Never enough intimacy. Never enough. There I did it. Shopping trips. Never enough. Time to read. Never enough getaways. Quite a list, isn't it? That's uh, that's how it seems, anyway, when adult responsibility fights for other things in our lives. Often my most important earthly relationship most important earthly relationship pays the price to make room for all other responsibilities. Is there an amen in here about that? 
But when the children are raised and the house is paid for, when ministry has been happening and business is thriving, we're still here, just the two of us. But are we friends or are we just business partners? This is a real challenge for all of us. doesn't matter with what set of responsibilities we sit in here today. It's a real challenge. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. I'd like you to hear, I'm going to go over this one again. That's the inspiration passage. Here's the challenge passage. And it comes straight from Jesus, words of Christ in red. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. That's from a groom to a bride, right there. Nevertheless, I'm heartbroken, because we haven't kept the relationship up. Five questions to answer. Now, I want to tell you, that was just a little seed right there, that challenge passage, because my intention is just to blow all kinds of hot wind in your sails and send you guys out the door on plane, not just slugging down in this, under the surface a little ways. And I know that's going to be a big challenge, but I want you to hear clearly that I'm, I'm going to give some lists, I'm going to give some do, I'm going to highlight some principles, but I don't want you to miss the forest for the trees, that the reality is, just like last night, we have to be empowered by something greater than lists of do's. We've got to be empowered by a motivation that just springs up from inside. And I acknowledge and confess that when we get busy and our lives get really full and depression hits us like a wave and we can't even keep our head even close to level, that coming to a session like this this morning could be really discouraging because I'm not going to shrink back from giving principles of the do. But I want you to know that I understand and I care a lot about the feeling of overwhelmed, like I can't do one more thing. Don't you dare tell me I have to do one more thing. I'm just going to hold up the truth and, and let God let that settle where it needs to in our hearts because there have been times in Heather and I's lives where we just couldn't seem to do anymore. Now, I want to give you just a little secret. This is a bonus, not even in my notes. Life has two distinct aspects. You cannot deny that intentionality pays big dividends, can you? Every time you have been intentional with anything, it has paid back big time. That's the law of intentionality. The flip side of that is you can't do everything. And you're going to need grace. And you're going to need to extend grace. So for all the things that you're struggling with intentionality in, there's grace. Hallelujah. And we need to give grace to each other and even sometimes grace to ourselves.
Okay, on your sheet, what does it look like? What does fun and friendship in marriage look like? Mason, how can I stop this? If I do this and this, does that do it? Thank you. What does it look like? You have about um, the right number of bullets, I think about seven there for what I have to share with you. I'm going to list them and then I'm going to go back through them a little bit. What does this look like? A fun and friendship-filled marriage. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. It's intimate. It's encouraging. It's passionate. It's adventurous. And it's spicy. Exciting. Number one. I sat down with my beloved, and my friend to get some input on these words. And so I'm going to share some of our discussion with you. What does it look like? What does this kind of a marriage look like? Exciting? Always having something to look forward to. That's pretty practical. Always having something to look forward to. If there's nothing in the future... It kind of impacts today, doesn't it? But if I've got something like Homes on Purpose to look forward to, and then, and then what's next after Homes on Purpose? Exhilarating. Life purposefully being breathed into one spouse from the other. Exhilarating. Just think about that. And if you want to, just exhale. And now take in that huge breath. Exhilarating. You're being filled up. Life being purposefully breathed into. From one spouse to the other. Who does it matter that you receive this from the most? Who impacts you the most when you are looking for Something that's not only exciting, but also exhilarating. It's that synergy of the marriage union, the oneness, life being purposefully breathed into. Number three, intimate. No withdrawals. Complete trust. No need for secrets. Completely safe and belonging. Exposed and bare. Without shame. No withdrawals. Complete trust. No need for secrets. Completely safe and belonging. Exposed and bare. Without shame. When God created Adam and Eve, they were this way. And there was no shame. But upon the entrance of sin, something absolutely earth-shattering, actually universe-shattering, happened. Shame brought in the need for covering. Do you know, have you thought about this, that the reason you're wearing clothes today is because we still carry that need for shame. God intentionally designed the human race 
to be in a setting like this, still exposed. Think about that. And it was a marriage union that facilitated the breakup of that. And now it's the marriage union is to bring back that vulnerability. God calls us as husband and wife to be completely exposed and bare without shame. Amazing. We couldn't handle what Adam and Eve could handle. We are not capable. It would send all of us over the edge, and we know it. That's a big point of the reason for modesty. But it was not so from the beginning. In the beginning, it was very good, and God created us to be absolutely pure as we still gave ourselves to one. I think we should just own that a little bit and then recognize that in our marriages that we are called to step back in to exposure, self-exposure, intimacy. Number four, encouraging. On their side... Who's your biggest cheerleader? Maybe not in size, but hopefully in dynamic energy or thoughtful words or prayer. Are you on your spouse's side more than anybody else? It's a good challenge when either spouse gets a lot of affirmation to make sure that you are not outdone by other people in the affirmation that your spouse receives. It's a good challenge encouraging. And that's not just one way towards speakers who tend to get more affirmation. That's definitely back the other way as well. Affirmation, encouragement. Number five, passionate. Passionate. The outward proof of your intimacy level. The outward proof of something deep inside. Passion. I would love to make sermons out of each of these, but we're just going to not and keep it simple. Keep moving. Number six, adventurous. The willingness and bravery to learn together. Not just the willingness, but also the bravery. It's going to take some courage here to be adventurous. And I just like to say, and some of you know this to be a theme with me, And I just step right up on that pedestal and say, this shows the power of a growth journey. There are more more to come on that. And, And adventurous is the opposite of stuck. Let's mark that down too. Number seven, spicy. Out of the box. Learning to write your own dance. Creating your own spark. This is where you put the fun in your marriage. Be your own special couple, not trying to be like someone else. Be unconventional. Walk out these doors with the purpose to be unconventional because any type of comparison kills. Not to say that we can't learn from each other, but when we try to imitate, it oftentimes squelches. All right. That's the first, what does it look like, definition. Number two, the foxes. Why is fun in marriage threatened? Answer number one, 
scarcity mindset. I don't have enough. That is the scarcity mindset. Answer number two, pride. Pride in my knowledge and in my performance. Answer number three, unwillingness to see from another's perspective, my spouse's. Let's unpack these one at a time. Scarcity mindset. Did you, did you notice on the whiteboard up here all the things that we didn't have enough of? Quite a, quite a few things, wasn't there, that we didn't have enough of? It has a little bit of a catch-22. I know it's reality, and we often live in that space, but I'm going to challenge it right here and right now. When I live in the not enough space, my life becomes disproportionate. I'm out of balance. I lose a sense of wholeness. I struggle deeply with trust. I use words like busy to describe my day or, oh, I'm making it. And I'm not saying that to speak in condemnation. I'm just drawing awareness to the words that are coming out of our mouths. And I think that at, at the core of this is a huge struggle for identity. Identity, you say? Yep, I think it is. I want to have more so I can feel valued. I want to have more so life can meet my expectations of what is good. My expectations of what is good. Scarcity mindset. Friends, I have lived in this space far, far, far too long. This own it. I have. And it becomes a habit that just recreates itself. Never enough. Never enough. Driving my behavior. But do I ever take time to stop and examine why I am so driven? Never enough. Scarcity mindset. Question. What if... What if I actually do have enough right now? Oh, I'll, I guess I'll stand up and look around a little bit. I'm, I'm feeling better already. I have enough. Question two. What if, what if this is actually an item of belief? that frees me to appreciate and use the resources I have right now at my disposal. What if this is really a thing of belief? What resources do you have? What resources do you have? What resources do you have? Available to prioritize fun and friendship with your life partner right now in this season of your life.
Have you taken stock? Do you suppose there's more available than what you can even use right now? For fun and friendship with your life partner? Scarcity mindset, it's a killer. Number two, pride in my knowledge and performance. How many of you know better than your spouse? How many of you think more highly of your performance than your spouse's? Confession. My pride locks me down from considering another perspective. I mean, it just slams the gate. Pride locks me down from considering another perspective. Now, I want you to do a little exercise with me. I want you to envision yourself in two different settings. Yourself. Think. What does your face and your posture look like when it's closed? Can you pull that up? Not your spouse's. Yours. Closed. Now think. What does your face and your posture look like when it's open? Got it? They look like two different people, don't they? Which version would you rather engage with as a friend? I know it's obvious, but I forget that when I'm locked up in pride and I close down and I will not hear my wife's perspective. Closed. So is friendship. I'm reminded of the proverb, chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Let's catch a couple others from that chapter and let wisdom speak a moment more. Verse 19, it is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Amen. I agree. 21, the wise of heart is called discerning and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Oh my, right there, chapter 16, verse 21. Two verses later, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. I think I want to go from closed to open, don't you? Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Pride kills. Answer number three, unwillingness to see from another perspective my spouse's. The word stubborn in the Bible is the word serar. It means to turn away, to backslide, be rebellious, revolt, and withdraw. That's what stubborn means. I'm right in the pride, and now I'm going to dig my heels in. I'm going to dig in, and the harder the rope pulls, the more I'm going to dig in. Anyone relate to that? 
Now I've got to prove it on principle that I was right. Has that ever worked for any of you? Ever. Has it ever, ever, ever opened up the door to relationship? Oh, God, help us. Psalm 78, 8. God says, and they might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. We all know Samuel's words to King Saul, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. If you struggle with setting yourself up as God, that's called idolatry, it's time to repent. I want to give you the flip side of that, of both the pride and unwillingness to see from another's perspective. I don't even have to ask you if you struggle with this. I already know. It's common to man. It's common to woman too. You've always heard that curiosity killed the cat. I'd like to tell you that curiosity is one of the greatest assets that you have. Greatest resources that you have available to you. Try asking yourself this question every time you feel unwillingness rising up within you. Maybe later today. What can I learn in this moment? What can I learn in this moment? I'm going to change from a resistance mindset to an open, curious mindset. I don't know anything. My name is not God. I don't know everything there is to know. Therefore, I am going to choose to learn in this moment. And another question to follow that one up. What about me is feeling threatened right now? What about me is feeling threatened right now? The foxes. Why is fun in marriage threatened? Because we have a scarcity mindset, we have pride, and we have an unwillingness to see from another's perspective. How can we create an environment for fun and friendship then? We've established the badness. Let's go for the goodness. I'm going to give you four things. I'm going to give them to you fairly quickly and probably twice. Number one, how can we create this environment? By maintaining an individual identity that allows us to be friends with each other. Heather and I struggled with this in our early marriage. We were trying to put this together. What does oneness mean? Do we lose our identities in our unity? But we're pretty different still. Do we just put all those differences down and try to find some middle ground? Didn't work for us because we're still individuals and we still each are responsible to God for ourselves, for our attitudes for our life choices. There's something powerful about recognizing that even though we have crossed a big line and become a unit, we still stand 
before each other and before God. There's a reason it's called a threefold cord, because two of those strands are you and your spouse. And the third one is God. Maintaining an individual identity allows us to be friends with each other. There's, there's a separation to come back together. I'll let you meditate on that. Number two, purpose to be curious as a default. So we're going to expand on that, curiosity. Instead of being threatened, a curious person has the posture of a learner, a discoverer. It says, I don't know all that makes you tick, but I want to know. Purpose to be curious as a default instead of threatened. And how you'll know that is when you're feeling threatened, and then you need to use that as a little catalyst to move into curiosity. It's the best way I've found. Threatened tells me that I need to shift into curiosity. Number three, practice making sure, absolutely sure, that your spouse knows that you are for them. You believe in them. You want them to develop their gifts and talents, their sweet spots. You want them to excel. This is an interesting one in our culture. We have purposefully maintained our culture to be at least 60 years, maybe 80, behind current culture. In that, we have tried to maintain our homes as a habitation for our wives to live and to nurture. And so, we don't have as much of the career track to career homes in our culture as would be commonly surrounding us. I'm not saying we don't have it at all. I'm just saying we've purposefully maintained that reality. And with it can come a tendency that it's all about the man. The man's goals, the man's dreams, the man's visions, the man's aspirations. And what about the woman's whom God has created also with vision and dream and equipage? What about that? Make sure your spouse knows that you are for them. Listen to this affirmation. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. It's quite an affirmation. Number four, see if you can find a way once a week twice a week, maybe even once a day to let your partner know how special they are to you. We're talking about creating an environment for friendship and fun and marriage. Maintain an individual identity, purpose to be curious, practice making sure your spouse knows that you are for them and see if you can find a way at least once a week, to let your partner know how special they are to you. I shot low there, folks, on purpose. Make it pretty doable. But I bet we could do better than that, can't we? The burning fire, how do we maintain it? Hmm. Plan fun times together. A 
apply the law of investment to fun and friendship in your marriage. I talked about this earlier. Applying the law of investment. I'm going to give it to you in my own words. Here it is. Whatever you pour energy, thought, and planning into equals uncovered treasure. Whatever you pour energy, thought, and planning into equals uncovered treasure. I've been blown away by this truth. When I first started studying and preaching out of the Bible, I thought, you know, there's only so many books, 66. You know, if I have 30 years of preaching, you know, the resources. And I discovered a truth in the process that the deeper you dig, the more there is. And this thing of investment the law of investment, wherever you pour study, wherever you pour energy, wherever you pour thought, wherever you put planning, uncovered treasure. Is that all there was to that thing? No, I dare you to go another level. And then try one more and see if you're at the end of that. The law of investment takes a whole myriad of ways to unpack in ways to invest in friendship and fun in your marriage. Do a marriage conference. Do a marriage retreat. Do an escape some way. Do something purposefully on a really tight budget just to say you did it or to try it. Can you have a fantastic getaway as a couple for $50? Why not? You think that there's any options to, to pursue on that one? Only a thousand. A thousand ways to have a fantastic getaway for $50, I dare you. Invest in it. Why, why does it have to be 3000 It doesn't. Why do we live with the scarcity mindset? We don't have to. Wherever you pour investment, you will discover uncovered treasure. Dream together, plan regular times of sharing together, plan regular times of sexual intimacy together. Okay, I'm going to unpack those just a little bit as well. So we talked about planning fun times together. And I did want to mention a great resource, a book that I really enjoyed, and I've been going through it multiple times in preparation for this message from Bill and Pam Farrell. You might be familiar with it already. Men are like waffles, women are like spaghetti. It's a great book. It's even a great audio book, and both the authors read it together in a very unconventional way. They have some great tips on having fun together and planning for fun times. Dream together. What are special interests that God has placed in both of you? Now let's take the flip side. In the dreaming thought, lest we get stuck on the $50 event. If you could go do a romantic Getaway with no cost barriers whatsoever. Talking about dreaming. Where would you go? And what would you do? Now, if you just took an evening together on a date and you just discussed that, can you imagine how fun that would be to hear each other's perspectives 
on what that could look like. It's like heaven's resources. I've always been interested in this, this, and this, and I'd like to take you to this spot and get that bicycle built for two or what? Dream. Plan regular times of sharing together to keep the communication open. So back on this one. Heather and I started doing a couple years ago this thing where two afternoons a week, we have some intentional time together. On Monday afternoons, we typically try to have a little time of just emotional connection where we share what's going on in our lives. Just catch up. And it's like details in other relationships, work highs and lows, children's braces appointments, uh, just all kinds of stuff. We just, we just catch up because Anthony doesn't do a very good job at catching up without some serious planning involved. And that works for us because otherwise we find ourselves having gone one, two, three, four weeks, and I won't go into how long it's ever been before, where we're not connecting lives and schedules very well. So we try to do that once a week. And on another day a week, in an afternoon after work, we try to have a spiritual connection time. That's a pretty broad label, but it's things like discussing what I'm learning right now. What's the material I'm going through? What's happening in our discipleship groups? Uh, what am I processing? What are visions that God is stirring up in my heart? Just, just a time to connect on spiritual relationship as well. And then, in the regular times of sexual intimacy together, I want you to consider this, and you know it to be true, women often need emotional connection or closeness to build desire for physical intimacy. Emotional connection first, then physical intimacy. But men often need physical intimacy to build emotional trust and connection. I'm not saying absolutes always, I'm saying generally. Recognizing that, plan your life as a couple so that it regularly and intentionally meets both needs. Regularly and intentionally meets both needs and wowza. The sparks are on. We've got a, not just a, uh, what does Emerson Egrich call it? We go from the crazy cycle to something, and then we've got the rewarded cycle. And that's, that's where we're aiming, is the rewarded cycle. The cycle of life that feeds itself in such a positive way that the spark is on. Even when there's downtimes, there's a trust relationship built, a friendship connection that's established by regularity that feeds the ability to process hard things more easily. When you have these ingredients, fun, we started with, dreaming, we went next, sharing, and sex as regular rhythms in your life as a couple, you'll have found your spouse to be your best friend. I guarantee it. Number five, how can we restore Fun and friendship into our marriages, the return, 
Revelation 2.5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Jesus said, I have a question. For some of us, this is not so far back, and for others, it's a long way back. How did you express yourself in your courtship that affirmed your interest in your beloved? How did you express yourself? Speak up, Ike. Express yourself. How did you do it? What made them know that you were interested in them, that you wanted to be with them? What did you do? How did you express? If the tyranny of the urgent has edged out the vitally important, if the tyranny of the urgent has edged out the vitally important, take some time after this weekend to process together and maybe alone what you would like to change. How can we restore fun and friendship? Practice the abundance mindset instead of the scarcity mindset. The abundance mindset flows out of trust and gratefulness. There's been points in my life where that was difficult. But just choosing to say, thank you, God, for what I have in my day today, it is extremely difficult. But I choose to believe that you are enough for me in this day. And even though there are difficulties with my relationship with my spouse and we have hit an impasse and we can't seem to talk together, still I'm glad and I thank you that we are here together to process through this moment Practice the abundance mindset. Apply the law of investment to putting fun and friendship in your marriage. Return to the law of investment. Whatever you pour energy, thought, and planning into equals uncovered treasure. Did I miss the uh, five-minute sign somewhere? Okay, I thought I might have. Now, uh, if you're not spread out, spread out a little bit and just be together, you and your spouse. And Heather, I'd like you to come up here with me. And we're going to practice on this return, point number five. We're going to practice speaking words of life into each other. There's plenty of space on this second bench. If you're tight, you can move into there. A number of years ago, Lowell and Sarah Philprin were here at Homes on Purpose, and they led us through some exercises processing as couples in some pretty unfamiliar space to most of us. And you know what it did? It kind of sowed a seed. It whet an appetite. And so today, Heather and I are going to do something like that with you all. Uh, I want you to just... Turn and hold your spouse's hands so you can face as best you can on a bench and all that challenge with knees and everything. And I'm going to speak kind of in three categories to Heather. I'm going to speak first about her outward beauty. 
And I'm going to speak about her inward beauty. And then I'm going to speak about her dreams. And you can repeat after me. I'll give you space to speak when I'm done. Just little phrases. You can make up your own words. I gave you the outline so you know where I'm headed. And uh, I want you to not say these words perfectly, men. I just want you to speak them from your heart. I want your wife, who may be even right now feeling a little threatened because this doesn't happen, uh, I want you to see if you can build some trust right now in this moment with the words that you speak. And uh, so my words may not fit you. They might be easier for you just to say now and, and then do some more later as well. I'm going to use Heather's name. Use your own wife's name. <laughs> you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Heather. It was your outward beauty that first attracted me to you. I love the way that God has formed you. I love the way your eyes sparkle. I love the way you carry your person. There's a lot of things that I love about the way God has formed you. And most of them I'll tell you later. I want you to know that after 22 plus years of marriage, you are more beautiful today to me than you ever have been before. For some reason, your age isn't taken away from your beauty. It seems to be heightening it. Your outward beauty first drew me to you, but it was your inward beauty that captured my heart. I love the way you thirst after God. I love how his word means so much to you. I love how you can't let conflict go unchecked. And often you bring me back to restoring our relationship. I love the way you serve. It's beautiful. I love the way you care for those who are hurting. I love how you always know about our children's needs. You're way ahead of me on birthdays. Always, even though I have a note in my phone that tells me what all their birthdays are. Your outward beauty is just a frame for the true inner beauty of the soul that you are. And I love both.
I want you to know today that I care about your dreams. We've wrestled with this thing before, haven't we? Should a woman give up her dreams just to support her man's? And you have done well with that. Because God has called me to be the breadwinner. Somehow that's connected with dreams. But I care about your dreams too. I want to see your gifts exercised. I want to see God breathe new life into you in this middle point of our life. I want to see those talents that have been growing quietly come into full blossom. You're an entire person. We some ways complete each other, but I want you to know that I see you complete in God as an individual. You're beautiful, and I love you. Now, ladies, it'll be your turn. Thank you, Anthony. If, if God gave me the opportunity to change one thing about you, I would not take it. Because mm. he... Handmade you, and you are created by Him, and He does all things well. Mm-hmm. You are you are made so perfect. I love how you respond to life. I love how He made you. I love your dark hair. I love that it's graying because it's attractive to me. You look so distinguished. It also means that we're growing old together. Mm. That's been a dream of mine, too. I love how your eyes smile, and they communicate to me so much, even without words. Mm. I love your hands. They're so gentle and so attractive to me and so strong. I'm very drawn to your physical strength. I love how you use your physical strength to protect me and our family. I feel so safe when I am with you. I love how, too, how God has made you on the inside and how you've responded so well to growing and learning. And your spirit is so strong. Your confidence in Christ gives you permission and allows your strength to come out as gentle and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. This is so attractive to me. And I feel cared for when you allow me to see into your emotions Mm. and into your heart. I love how you really enjoy God's creation. 
you enjoy beauty that he has created in the, the land and the stars and people. And you see so much beauty in people. I love living this life with you. I'm so glad God chose us for each other. Mm. Your love for adventure and challenge put so much color into my life. And I'm really, really glad for it. You are inspiring to others and to me. Your, your love for life encourages me to keep enjoying each moment. I chose you. I choose you. Mm. I always will. I love you.